in uh, Samuel, who is a prophet of God, in Saul, who is a king, and David. And one of the things that I think we, we talk about, we talk about the spiritual battle, right? We talk about the spiritual battle between God and Satan. And when you think of the spiritual battle, I think a lot of times people think of it as Satan's really attacking me because I got in a car accident. Or do you know what I mean? Like we think of the spiritual battle as somehow other things outside of us impacting us. But I mean to assert that the majority of the spiritual battle that we see in our lives actually occurs in our minds. The devil, that's where he's going after. The devil it says in, in John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the mission of Satan. And in particular, he not only does he want to steal, kill, and destroy from our lives, that that's what he's all about, but he is very motivated and driven to try and find ways to separate us from God because in God there is peace, in God there is power, in God there's joy. It says that Jesus Christ has come, that we would have life and have it to the full, that that is the de- just totally opposite. Steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Very different missions here. And so I think that as, as we're kind of looking at different people and how God worked in their lives, we're going to see examples of what Satan does to get us separated from God and to get us into the place that he can just chew us up and spit us out and pull us away from what God's intended and for his purposes and where he's trying to take us. We've been talking a lot as we've been going through the Old Testament. Actually, if you get out your little timeline, um, because I want to keep bringing us back to the context. There's one of the reasons that we're doing this um, is because... You know, for many people, have you ever been intimidated by the Bible? It's kind of daunting, you know, reading it. Big book. And so I wanted to kind of do an overview where where it would be a little bit more accessible and you'd feel like you have some clarity and some understanding. But at the same time, every part of this is extremely relevant to our lives. So uh, so we want to kind of kind of accomplish both things. And so everybody's pretty familiar if you've got your timeline. Uh, we've been going through here from creation to the flood and then um, through Abraham. Uh, and then we get into Moses and the Exodus. And last week we finished the judges. So, Moses, well, we went Moses who let my people go and he got um, Israel away from bondage in Egypt. And then Joshua took people into the promised land. And then last week we saw that God, that, that, that the people in the book of Judges kept going back and forth. They would, you know, have somebody, he would raise up a judge to lead them and to bring them back to God. And then that would be awesome and their lives would be blessed. And then they'd keep going back into uh, bondage again and walk away from God. And so that was kind of going back and forth. And we also see that God's desire was to be their ruler, to be their king. And... Um, so in the book of, of 1 Samuel, First and Second Samuel, just that you know this as well, um, none of the, these titles for the books, it's not, these aren't God's titles or anything, um, but First and Second Samuel were originally one book, and they were uh, split up later by translators. So, 
But the first Samuel essentially covers the prophet Samuel and his birth. It opens with him. And I think it's actually great that the translators chose the name Samuel for first and second Samuel, even though a lot of the book that we're, when we're going to be talking about it covers King Saul and we'll be focusing on him. Um, but the, bir- the book of first Samuel starts off. And, and like I say, as we're talking about the spiritual battle and we're going to talk about how to win, <laughs> but you're going to kind of see the difference and contrast in terms of, pe- of when people were really letting God, you know, work in their lives and letting God in and when, um, and when they weren't, and also some of the tricks of the adversary, because it also says in the Bible that we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, that we need to be wise about what Satan does to get us separated from God. What, what does he do? How is he functioning to do that? So Samuel opens up the book of First Samuel with the birth of Samuel the prophet, and it's, again, a wonderful story. It seems like a lot of great people in the Bible were born from... Um, women that couldn't have children originally, and Hannah was another one of those that couldn't have a child, and she prays to God, and God blesses her with a child, but um, before she gets pregnant with Samuel, she tells God that whoever she has for a child, if God blesses her, that she's going to give this child to the Lord to serve the Lord, and so after, so she gets pregnant, and Samuel's born, and Hannah brings Samuel after he's weaned to Uh, to Eli, who was a prophet, to be raised to serve the Lord. Now, Eli was a prophet of God that kind of got off track because his sons, he he had two sons that were really dark and evil, and they weren't really hearing from God very much. And so Samuel, as he's being raised in the, in the, uh, with Eli to learn about serving God, God speaks to Samuel three times. He says, Samuel, and Samuel runs into Eli's room and says, did you call me? And three times, and Eli's, no, go back to bed. And so the third time, Samuel, Samuel hears God speaking, Samuel, and Samuel runs into Eli and says, you called me. And then Eli gets it and says, oh, this is how out of it Eli was. to train. He's trying to train somebody else to walk with God. And this is, clearly he doesn't, can't recognize when somebody's hearing from God. So he said, the third time, Eli says, um, oh, yeah, that's the Lord speaking. <laughs> so next time you hear that, he says, just say, speak for your servant is listening. And so Samuel says that, and um, uh, the prophecy to Samuel is that God's going to raise Samuel up, but Eli's going down because uh, he has really walked away from God. And Eli asks Samuel to tell him the truth about the revelation, and Samuel tells him, and Eli's like, oh, okay, that's what God spoke. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, uh, so, and then Eli winds up dying because at this point, Israel kind of gets this idea. Instead of seeking God, they do this substitution where they think, if we're going to win a battle, we just need the Ark of the Covenant. So it's almost like they're starting to use the Ark as if it's a lucky charm. And so they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into, world, in, into their battles, thinking, surely that will help us win. And so it doesn't, and the Philistines take off with the Ark of the Covenant. And so Eli hears about it, and he's so heartbroken, because he kind of starts getting it that this is the cost of him kind of walking away from God, and, and in particular in the way that he raised his, his kids. And he's so upset, he falls back on his chair, breaks his neck, and dies. So... 
<laughs> so that's kind of the beginning of the book of Samuel. And then um, Samuel then takes over as prophet, and, and the people of Israel are saying, we want a king, we want to be like the other nations, and God's told them over and over again, I'm your king. If you get a human king, they're going to take advantage of you. They're going to take all your money and walk all over you, and it's going to be bad. Just let me be your king and rule you. And they're like, no, we want to be like everybody else. And so, and part of it is that they're thinking about how they look, how they appear, that they're going to feel more secure if they have a, a powerful king, that they're going to, you know, feel more confident. So this is clearly not trusting God. And so it's not, we talked last week a little bit about oftentimes God has some place he's trying to take us and we're not having any of it. And so God mops it up, but it's still not as good as what his original plan was. You know, we, we kind of sometimes relate. And as we're looking at this, I've heard people say, God will cover, God will cover. No, that's not how it works. If God's trying to take you someplace awesome, and you're not having any of it, it's not just as good. It doesn't turn out just as great with the backup plan. So, but what happens is God just makes it work as best as he possibly can. So what he does, since they're insistent on having a king, is he tells Samuel to anoint Saul as king. And at this point, um, you know, Saul's not anybody special, except he's tall. He's a head taller than everybody else. But other than that, if um, it actually says when Samuel uh, talks to Saul and anoints him, because um, he's looking for his donkeys, actually. Um, <laughs> Saul's looking for his father's donkeys, and someone says, you know, there's a man of God. He could probably tell you because he listens to God. And so they drop in on Samuel. And in the meanwhile, Sam- God tells Samuel, the guy that comes by to look for his donkeys, that's going to be the king. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Samuel drops in and says, we heard you're the man of God. Here's a gift for you because uh, can you tell us where our donkeys are? And he says, you're going to be the king. Now, Samuel's first response to this, which is kind of cool, is it actually, I'm just going to read this to you. In chapter, 1 Samuel 9 and verse 21, um, his first response where you kind of see God did the best he could at picking who was available that would be um, the best king given the people that he had to work with. And in uh, chapter 9, and verse 21, Saul answered, but am I not, but I am not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel and is not my clan the least of all the clans in the tribe of Benjamin. So how could you say such a thing to me? So the first thing that that's kind of cool, that shows you at the time that Saul's anointed king, his heart has got a lot of humility and openness towards God. He's saying, I'm a nobody. How is this even possible that I'm the one that's going to be anointed, the first king that God's backing in Israel? You also see, as far as how God set this up originally, and is that God set the king to still be subject to God and to be listening to the prophet of God. That God was saying, okay, you're not going to have a king like the, like the other nations do. We're going to set up, if you're going to do the government and do the king, the king has to be subordinate to God and even to the prophet Samuel. So, um, so that the king would be accountable to somebody. That's how, and accountable to God. Um, 
And then in 1 Samuel 10, you see we have a really good beginning for Samuel. Now think about this. This is something where God's doing the best he can for the people of Israel who have said that they want, they're not having it God's way. They want to do something else. So God's like, okay, don't love this, but I'm going to do the best I can at picking the best person for the job. And so at the time, this is like, um, imagine, you know, being Saul and getting the, the news of that, that God's chosen him to be king. And his initial reaction is amazing, actually. In 1 Samuel 10, you see a, the heart that you'd want to see, you know, in picking somebody. In verse 9, it says, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at Gibeah, the procession of the prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? So the first thing that you see, um, which is you know, really amazing, is you see that he's walking with God. And we had talked about throughout the Old Testament, this is before Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit wasn't something everybody had. You really had to be walking with God and having faith for God to set his spirit on you to communicate with him. You had to be in alignment and harmony and in fellowship with God. Very few people got to have the spirit of God and hear and have a direct connection with God this way. So this was kind of an amazing thing for a king and that he would be prophesying, speaking for God. So it's a great beginning, a lot of faith, um, and a lot of humility to begin with. So it's a good start. Now, what happens is he, right after that, he wins a war against the Ammonites and he's confirmed as king. He gave a sacrifice. He was 30 years old when he was made king. And then we move over to 1 Samuel 13. So you know how sometimes people say the greatest crucible of a person's character is fail is like being at the bottom and what you do? I, I don't know about that. I think a lot of times, really, the greatest crucible of a person's character is in success. When you actually can do whatever and you have power, then what are your choices going to be? You know, when, when you can have your way and have the power. And so, unfortunately, Saul starts very quickly to fail this test where God had given him this amazing gift. And you, you're going to see, as we read this record, that it was not... God really had intended for Saul to be a good king. He was really hoping for it. He was really fighting for this. But how we respond to what God's invitation is, we all have free will. God can want something for us so bad. He can taste it. He can be excited. He can be, have the vision of where he's trying to take us. God's always trying to take us into the promised land, into a place that, that is our calling in God, that he, that he can be there to bless us and to have us fulfill our purpose. Um, but everybody's got free will. So in chapter 13, what happened, actually, I, I don't, uh, we don't need to, it, it didn't last very long. In chapter 13 and verse 10, it says, God had instructed him, um, oh, they're in battle with the Philistines. Actually, we don't need to read this one. And what happens is, they're losing the battle. And so Samuel, 
I mean, Saul is getting impatient that Samuel hasn't come along. He's like, where's the man of God? Where's the man of God to do the offering? Because in his brain, he's like, we've got to have the offering. He's looking at it again as a lucky charm, not in seeking God. So he, he gets so fired up thinking that this is what it's all about, is, you know, making sure that there's an offering. You know, it's, it's kind of like the legalism as opposed to the heart of God that instead of waiting, because the, the word of God said that, it had, that the offering had to be made by Samuel the prophet, Saul's think, just looking at the battle and gets anxious and decides to do it himself, which is a sin. It's completely against the word of God. But he's like, I can't wait. We're losing the battle. We got to do this. And so he completely disobeys God in order to do this offering, thinking that this is going to help the battle. So he's taking matters into his hands instead of trusting God. And then what happens is Samuel comes and tells him, and this is really interesting in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 13. Samuel says, you acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So this is the Lord saying his desire for Saul, what he had in his brain of where he wanted to take Saul, is to have a kingdom that would last, a successful kingdom where God would bless him and God would take care of it. But his choice instead of to trust God, to be trusting in his own flesh and to take things under his own hands and take control and not have faith, you know, and, and go completely opposite of God's instruction. You know, it looks religious. And a lot of times that's the thing too. It's not whether some, something can look spiritual and be absolutely wrong. It can have the veneer of religiosity and be completely against God. You hear people all the time that say things in the name of God that, I'm sure most of you know, are not anything to do with God, are completely the opposite. doesn't matter what label you put on it. So then, anyway, so that's kind of the beginning of the end here for, um, for Saul. And then we're going to go down to 1 Samuel 15. Here's another um, battle where we see... Um, some, of the, some of the steps to the road down. First Samuel 15 and verse 7, it says, Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to shore to the east of Egypt. He took Agog, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and all of his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agog and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These... <laughs> They were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. (laughs) So, and then it says in verse 10, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord that night. And gosh, he just, you know, this just came alive for me in a way that I hadn't seen before is... It always blows my mind when God wants something so much and you see it. This, our lives look like this. Where God's fighting for something in our lives, and I've seen it in my life where I haven't chosen, you know, I have completely walked away from what, you know, God wanted and did plan B. 
and there were costs involved to that. But you see what God's intention is. This is not everything happens for a reason, guys. I'm sorry, that's a lie. I, don't, I believe it's an absolute lie. It's ridiculous. Horrible things happen that are not the will of God. There's nothing like the will of God. God does not control everything. God is not in control of everything. If he, if he was, then he's a nutty God. You know, and then we don't have free will, if that's the case. You can't make free will and God controlling everything coexist. People have choices. So you see, it's, I mean, look at this right here, how evident it was. God had this whole other amazing thing in store. Saul chooses something else, and God shares with Samuel that he's grieved for this decision to make Saul king. I mean, it's God, for goodness sake. I bet he made the best decision he possibly could. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I've definitely struggled with codependence, and I still do, where we're not responsible for other people's choices. It's not that if we do everything perfect that somehow magically someone else is going to do what they're supposed to do. If we love enough, do enough. God chose somebody based on what was wise to start with. You know, God's wise. He sees these things. He saw Saul and picked him, and still it, it turned out not right. With all of God's wisdom, it says that he grieved. And I also love, it just really f touches me, actually, and comforts me. But it's just sort of like that Samuel wailed all night with God about the, about the loss, too. You know, it's kind of interesting. Like, Samuel and God were brokenhearted and cried all night about this. You know, that it not only affected Saul, but it also hurt all of God's people in Israel, you know, for the, for the choice that Saul made. I think it's really important in understanding God. God gets blamed so often for free will that people get to make choices. We do not have control over other people's choices. has nothing to do with God's will. You know? The good news is, is that we have choice. We get to choose to choose God or not choose God in our lives. That's what's really exciting. So then what happened? So this is, so they cried out to the, he cried out to the Lord all night. And in verse 12, it says, early in the morning, Samuel got up and to, went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul was gone, has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So Saul's pretty excited because he had a, military victory here but he's completely been disobedient to God and so you see pride in the mix too you see the combination of pride that separated him out where now he's erecting monuments to himself <laughs> um, and then in verse 13 it says when Samuel reached him Saul said the Lord bless you I have carried out the Lord's instructions did he carry out the Lord's instructions no. You know, you see the rationalizing there, too, because he's saying he did half of what the Lord told him to do, so that's the Lord's instructions. Wasn't the Lord, you know, the Lord didn't call that doing his instructions. And then it says, and um, so he's saying, oh, I, I did, praise the Lord, we won, I did just what the Lord said. And then verse 14, but Samuel said, 
What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this belt, uh, lowing of cattle that I hear? So I don't think he was literally hearing this. I, I mean, I have a f maybe he was, but I have a funny feeling that this is sarcasm. So <laughs> oh, he's just going, yeah, right, you carried out the Lord's instructions. Why am I hearing sheep and cows right now? So, um, so then it says, and Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. So this is, again, it's like just the, the premise in here where he's saying he did the will of the Lord. He didn't do the will of the Lord. And then when Samuel confronts him on it, he says, oh, it's the soldiers. They did it. He's the freaking king. It's the soldiers' fault that this didn't get carried out? Jeez, what a wuss. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, seriously, like, you're not responsible for this? So one of the things we see in terms of the difference, and we're going to see the contrast between uh, Saul and David, is you see the blame shifting and the rationalizing going on, where you see, Sam, you see Saul is not taking responsibility for his choices, but, you know, he's minimizing what he did, um, he's, he's rationalizing, and he's blame shifting. So these are all things that are, lead to the road down. Um, I would say, too, in this, the, um, and then actually, well, we'll just keep reading. It says um, in verse 16, stop, Samuel said to Saul. Oh, my goodness. That had to be intense, I'm thinking. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the prophet saying this. You can kind of get Samuel's just so done. You know, he's just like, you can see his heart. He's been sobbing all night because of the disobedience of, of Saul. I keep wanting to switch Saul and Samuel. I'm bad with names. If it's got an S, I just say something. So if I'm switching these two around, you know what I mean, though. Um, but anyway, so it's, you can imagine. He's just like, shut up. You know, let me tell you what the Lord said to me. Oh, Saul says, tell me. And then Samuel says, although you were once small in your own eyes, you did not become the head of the tribes of Israel. Uh, wait, I think I read that wrong. Did you, sorry, not become head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And then he says, the Lord sent you on a mission, and you were supposed to destroy everything, and you didn't, you were disobedience. And then, and then it goes on to say that the Lord deser or, or desires, you know, obedience more than sacrifice, um, is what God's heart is. So it's, it, you kind of, this is, then of course it gets, you know, that, that just sort of is another kind of indicator of, Saul and where his heart was in it, and you see kind of, you see the pride, you see the lying, you see the blame shifting, the rationalizing, um, etc. So then what happens from this, because, and then you see that it's, something's changed. He says, you were once small in your own eyes. You know, in, in that place at the beginning where Saul was seeking God, but he wasn't anymore. He was kind of caught up with himself and his own power, you know, and position where everybody's kissing his butt and he can do whatever he wants. That's what I'm saying about the crucible of success. The, um, and then what happens is God tells Samuel to anoint David. And that's kind of a cool thing. We're not going to have time to read through it, but it's, if you want to, it's a really cool record in 1 Samuel 16 
where the Lord tells Samuel to go to Jesse and that out of one of Jesse's sons that someone will be anointed. And Jesse brings all of his handsome, strong sons out. And every single one that comes out, Sam is like, oh, this has got to be him. And the Lord's like, nope. Brings out another one. This has got to be him. Oh, my gosh, looks amazing. And Lord's like, nope. And so, and, and Samuel's like, what's going on? And so he asked Jesse, are these really all your sons? And Jesse's like, well, there's a little one. There's a little, there's a little, little one, David. But he's just a kid. And so he brings David out, and the Lord says, this is the one that I've anointed to be king. So he anoints David. And, um, and from there, we kind of see David and developing. We're going to see this especially next week because we're going to talk about David's life a lot. But we're going to be getting into David a little bit and see the contrast between the heart uh, of these two men. And then we see in chapter 17, we have the amazing story of David and Goliath. And I know everybody's heard, who's not heard of David and Goliath? Oh, yeah, see, I had a feeling you'd, uh, (laughs) that was a popular story. So we get to the place where Saul is now fearful. You can see that God is not walking with him. He's not trusting God. And you see that there's a difference when you're not, Wherever there's not faith, there's fear. You know, faith and fear are are kind of polar. And so you see Saul doing everything. The decisions and choices are so fear-driven because he's not seeking God and trusting God in his kingdom and in ruling any longer. And so now we have a battle where we have the Philistines on one side of the valley and Israelites on another. And we have Goliath, who's nine feet tall, And has armor that weighs 125 pounds. Um, And every day for 40 days, he goes down into the valley and starts yelling and making fun of Israel and how they're all wusses. And isn't anybody going to come fight him? Because they have an agreement that whoever wins, uh, you know, whether it's Goliath or somebody from the Israelites, that they'll serve the the other group. So... That's happening, and David's a kid. He's not even in the army. He's um, tending sheep, and his dad sends him to send food out to the brothers, and the brothers get all mad because his punk little brother is coming, and they're just like, and they just think, oh, yeah, you're, you're not here because of dad. You just want to snoop on us and you know be in the action where the war's happening. And David, they don't really get that David's actually somebody that has an incredible amount of faith for a young person, and let's go uh, to chapter 17. We're, we're going to pick up the story in um, verse 32. Um, let's see. So nobody is 40 days of this, and nobody's offering to fight Goliath. And so David says to Saul in verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now, you know, we don't know how old David is, but it's estimated that he's somewhere probably between 13 and 15 years old. At the, he's young. He's not a warrior. He's little. He's, he, was, like they, he wasn't even of the age to be there on the battlefield with everybody. So, um, and then Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. 
When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be as one of them before he has defied the armies of the living God. <laughs> so the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So you see a lot. This is the opposite. This is, you know, spiritual battle. There's so many things that we see. They're completely the opposite of how Saul has responded. <clears throat> Where Saul's getting so fear, you know, fearful in the midst of battle that he's got to run out there and make an offering. Instead, we see a boy who the odds are clearly against him and against the army. And yet his faith is such, he's not saying, I'm such a badass, I'll take him. He's saying, I've seen God work. I trust that my God is big enough and is strong enough to deliver me. That's faith, guys. You, he's come from the place that he has seen God work in his life already and de can declare it boldly and proudly and is not ashamed to say, God can do this for me. My God is, my, my God is the God of heaven and earth that made all creation. In David's mind, he's like, of course God can take Goliath. So much so that this boy, if you think about it, what he had seen even leading up to this, and you don't hear, because here's what's interesting is, if everybody knew that David slew the lion and the bear, do you think that they'd have a little bit of confidence that maybe he could fight? So here's what I'm thinking. I, I'm kind of thinking that maybe he wasn't talking about it. You know, I just wonder, either, you know, like that he wasn't running around telling everybody, I killed a lion and a bear, killed a lion and a bear. Do you know what I mean? But, <laughs> man, I don't know. But <laughs> i talk about it if I killed a lion and a bear. But, but it also shows you, as we're going to see David's life, because they, God calls David a man after his own heart, and David has the heart of a shepherd. David is also a tupos of Christ the shepherd, where he cared so much for his sheep. Here he is taking care of sheep. They're just animals, and he cares so much that he risked his life to, to fight a bear and a lion. He didn't go, not my job. So what if he takes a, have a sheep, go ahead, have another one. It's a bear for God's sake. Do you know what I mean? Like, David took the responsibility of the care for what he had been entrusted so seriously that he was trusted for those sheep. Sheep in the Bible, you know, the animals themselves, they have no means of protecting themselves. The Bible calls God's people sheep where they're defenseless creatures. Like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus talked about. So David gets this, that these sheep were entrusted to his care and defenseless on their own, that he took it seriously, that that was his responsibility and put his life on the line. But he did it because he had faith in God. Like he said, God did this for me. That when he saw it, he trusted that if God gave me this responsibility, God's going to give me the power to be able to walk through it and do it. If God puts you someplace, he's going to back you. If God's opening a door for you to go someplace, 
God's going to back you. He's got the power to do it. He is able, people. He made the heavens and the earth and the ocean and all of the creatures and all of the stars in the universe. He, what can't he do for you? If God's leading you someplace, he is not going to fail you. He has got the power to deliver. And that's the faith that David had in this situation. He said, I've seen God work. He, it would have been probably, you know, he, he just saw, he saw it, and he did gives God the glory in it too. He really gets, this is supernatural power. We talked about it with Samson. Normal people can't just kill bears and lions, I don't think, all by themselves. You see, it's supernatural power. You see that this doesn't add up sense knowledge-wise that a boy could be able to fight like this. But he has that faith. So anyway. Faith versus fear in walking with God. The humility, we see humility versus pride. We see seeking God versus self-seeking. Two paths, two choices of what God's able to do. Let's go to, um, oh yeah, okay, so he says God will deliver him. Then Saul tries to stick his his, uh, armor, armor on David and he just can't even walk with it. It's so heavy can't do anything because he's a little guy like a kid and then uh we'll go down to um verse 43 you guys know how the story ends but it's uh kind of cool um in verse 43 it says this is goliath he said to david am i a dog that you come at me with sticks and the philistine cursed david by his gods you know, that had to really rile David up a little bit. How dare you, you know, um, kind of thing. And he feels insulted that they'd send a kid out to fight him. And he says, come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. It's not, not a shame to speak for God. In verse 46, This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Man, David's just sort of like, you just really get that David is like, there's no way that my God is not going to deliver it. People will know that I stand for God and that God is real. And he's not afraid to declare it and speak it because he knows God's going to deliver. These words just give me chills. And then it says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves but the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. And then what happens, you know, the thing about the stones, and then (laughs) as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out how many stones? A stone. A, A. How many stones is that? One. It's not five stones. He took five stones. He didn't throw. What is this? It's just, it's an insult that he's like throwing five stones before he gets... Goliath. You don't read that anywhere. 
A stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. <laughs> then he cut off his head. and <laughs> So, you know, that's pretty exciting. Uh, <laughs> So we see this, and there's a great victory, and the Israelites are, are now, you know, excited and feeling faith. Their faith is sort of having a resurgence. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 6, it says, And when the men were returning home after David killed the Philistines, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. And they danced and sang. Saul has slain his thousands, but da- and David is tens of thousands. <laughs> Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, David kept a jealous eye on David. Saul kept a a jealous eye on David. So again, we're going to see the enemy. We see, we're kind of seeing the contrast. Are you guys seeing? So we've got the faith that that David's demonstrating. And here we've got Saul that instead of trusting God in this, he's obsessed with the jealousy. He's got anger. He's feeding it. This is the craziness. This is the battleground in the mind of things. Satan will try to feed you with fears and things that aren't real. He knows what we're afraid of. He knows our insecurities. He will feed that on and on and on to get us to separate from God, to say, God's not for us. God's not on my side. I've got to do it myself. Satan knows. It says that our adversary is like a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he may devour. The devil knows your weak spots. He knows mine. Everybody's got stuff and triggers and how the devil gets a foothold into our lives with things like fear and in in areas where we're not trusting God and we're trusting ourselves. So he starts obsessing about David. And it gets to the place, it gets actually really dark here. Um, And we'll just keep reading. In verse 10 it says, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So we also see, now, as I mentioned before, it says that Jesus Christ revealed the works of Satan. The Old Testament, they really didn't understand much about the spiritual battle. They didn't understand a whole lot about Satan. So they didn't understand demons. And so this is the Hebrew figure of speech. It's an idiom of permission. Oftentimes through the Old Testament, God is given credit for things Satan does. It says in another place that this is from Satan. There's not evil spirits from the Lord. The evil spirits, you know, are from Satan. It is a spiritual battle. But the Hebrews didn't work as clear about Satan and how he operates. And so what happens is he got a murder spirit. The way that demons, demons exist today, I believe that. I I believe that you cannot have the heinous things that we see in the world today, just human beings all by themselves. The Bible speaks about, and there's a lot actually in Saul. I did another teaching on Saul that just is about how Saul opens his mind to demons. 
that demons just don't come possess anybody. They just don't, they just can't just go zap people. But people can open their minds by, by obsessing on thoughts like fear and like envy and like anger and bitterness. And you fester and fester and fester on those things so that spirits come in. You see it happen, you know, in, definitely in murder spirits. Um, for many years I did ministry with gang members and I saw demons. I saw murder spirits and they're ugly. I'm telling you, when you see people that have killed someone, it's, they're, they're dark spirits. You know, so you see that the brain and the battleground of the brain that Saul, instead of trusting God, that God would have his back in this, he's taking things into his own hands and feeding on the fear and on the envy to the point that he uses, that he has a murder spirit. He even gets to the place that he uses his daughter as a trap. He tells David, he says, oh, you can marry my daughter if you bring me, he thinks, oh, I don't have to kill him. I'll get somebody else to kill him. And he says, he says, just tell David that if he, if he brings me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines that, um, that you can marry my daughter. <laughs> David's like so excited. He goes, oh my God, really? I get to marry Saul's daughter? And so he brings him 200 foreskins. <laughs> and he still doesn't get the daughters. Just pisses Saul off. He just gets really mad about it. But you kind of see David's heart. It's really cute in this. We're going to look at a couple more records to see the contrast. <laughs> and then Jonathan, Saul's son, loves David and starts figuring out he's really sad that his dad wants to kill David because David's a good man. Uh, and you see Saul's anger even spills out at one point that there's a couple points that he's even going to kill his own son, Jonathan, because Saul is so kind of insane, and it's actually pretty sad. Um, David goes and hides out and talks to Ahimelech, the priest uh, from Nob, Saul finds out about it and kills 85 priests of the Lord. For ta- Yeah, it's really a sad, sad situation. Um, you know, it just shows you his, uh, his anger and where it goes. And then we're going to see, um, let's go in chapter 23, you see kind of the contrast where David is... Um, about to go into battle, and in everything David does, David inquires in the Lord before he acts on any of this. And then in verse 24, you see kind of the contrast between the two where David knows he's anointed to be the next king, but he loves Saul and wants to give him every opportunity, but he knows that Saul keeps trying to kill him. So in in chapter 24... Um, in verse eight, Saul is looking to kill David. He's looking for David. David's hiding, David's hiding out in the caves. And, um, in verse eight, when David went to the cave, oh, wait, wait, sorry. Um, I forgot to tell you this part. So Saul's relieving himself and, um, David (laughs) sees him relieving himself and sneaks up on him. And David could clearly kill Saul. He's there. I mean, you know, he gets that close to Saul. And so instead of killing Saul, who, because his men, David's men are saying, this is great. God gave you Saul. He's right there. You can kill him. He's relieving himself. And so David's like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. And so he just cuts off a piece of his robe. And then he tells Saul, he's trying, and he does this over and over again, tries to prove to Saul that he's not trying to take over the kingdom, that he won't take it from him to try and get Saul to trust him. But Saul is so focused on fear that he won't believe the truth. 
David presents a mountain of evidence to him saying, I'm trustworthy. I got your back. I would never do anything to harm you. And he keeps telling Saul that over and over again. And Saul believes it for a minute and says, oh, my son, I've, I've sinned and cries and cries and says, oh, I can't believe I've accused you. I've wrongly accused you. But then five seconds later, he's trying to kill uh, David again. So it doesn't really last. Uh, he has this momentary thing. And then in verse 24, verse 8, it says, Then David went out to the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he's the Lord's anointed. See, and he calls him my father. Look at this piece of robe in, in my hand. I cut the, the, off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. So you really see the contrast here because did David have a lot of reason to get revenge on Saul? Saul was being a horrible, you know, like over and over trying to s- deceive David, trying to kill David. And David's constantly, you see David's heart, naive to some degree, that he kept thinking that he could persuade Saul. But you see that, I just love the heart of David, that he's at least trying to make it work, trying to reconcile, etc. But You know, again, free will, no matter what David does to try and prove his trustworthiness to Saul, Saul's so spun out on fear that he can't see the truth. Part of the battleground in our minds where Satan is fighting is to get us to feed on things that aren't true, get us to feed on our fears instead of reality. I truly believe the closer you move towards truth and towards reality, the closer you'll move to God. It says Satan is the father of lies. Satan will try to get us to feed and believe on things that are not true, that are governed by our fears and our insecurities and our pride and our greed and some of these things to believe lies. But you see the difference where David, when he has an opportunity, he's just trying to make peace, trying to not get revenge, but no matter what, uh, Saul's got free will and doesn't, isn't having it. We're going to look at one last thing where in 1 Samuel 28, what happens is towards the end of this is how uh, Saul dies. And he decides, it says in uh, chapter 28, verse 5, It says, when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. Now, this is not faith. This is terror. (laughs) It says, he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium that I might go and inquire of her. Now, this is kind of interesting because um, God had had actually Samuel... uh, get rid of all of the mediums because the Bible was, is very clear about the fact that they were operating devil spirits, that mediums and the way that, that they function 
is it's not hearing from the dead, it's people that get possessed of a demon that imitates somebody that died. And so demons have lived for thousands of years. They know your grandma, they know what she ate for breakfast, you know, they know what she sounds like, they know, you know, what she's done. So a medium takes over the psychic, controls their vocal cords oftentimes, and is able to replicate the dead and get people to seek them out for guidance. And certainly they know a lot because Satan knows a lot of stuff. So it's a way to, that Satan works to get people away from seeking God. We see it's kind of interesting because we're going to read a verse in Chronicles. Chronicles is sort of um, uh, a part that of the Bible that fills in some of the gaps of some of the things that um, Samuel doesn't include. Because it looks like, if you read this, that word he inquired of the Lord, that word is where he just kind of went through the motions, where he said the words. And I, and I know I've done this. Do you ever ask the Lord for something and you, you're not really asking? You know, you're just saying it because that's what we're supposed to do. I've done that. Prayed and go, God help me, give me wisdom. You know? I want to I hear what I want to hear. Do you know, I'm praying and I'm, and I'm asking God, but my ears are so closed. I only have one answer in mind. I'm not really interested in what God's saying. So we're going to see actually in Chronicles that there's a big difference between asking where it's the words and seeking. Like truly, you know, are we doing it just to fulfill the rule? You know, the law of just going, ah, well, see, I did my duty. That's what Saul was doing here. But then it says when he inquired of the medium that it was an intense inquiry that he was in pursuit. So there's a contrast in where his heart was that he really had no interest in. He just wanted an excuse, actually, to go pursue the, the medium. So basically, the medium, she tells him, um, which she knows a lot, she says the Philistines are going to destroy you and you're going to die and that's just what happens so he does it anyway because there's nothing Saul's just going to do what he's going to do anyway and he winds up committing suicide because um, when he sees that he's getting beat and that he's probably going to be kept captive and he kills himself let's go to first chronicles 10 I just want to show you that other verse that shows you um, it's after king's uh, first chronicle 10 in verse 13 you see the same record where, um, where it makes it a little bit clearer. It says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not, look at that, inquire of the Lord. He wasn't really asking. He was just going through the motions. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. So that's why it ended badly, is that he got to the place that he really wasn't seeking God. It was just in words only. There wasn't really a heart to know God. He really didn't care what God had to say about it. Whereas you see from David, and what we're going to see next week, because David's an amazing story where it, he um, is the second king in Israel, but he is the king that Jesus Christ you know, it, it, he's the type that represents Jesus in many ways. And, and there's many things about David's life with him being a shepherd and being a, a, a ruler uh, that was, uh, for the most part, he was somebody that sought God. But what's going to be really cool, too, is you'll see that David was also a flawed human being. So there's a difference between being flawed and screwing up versus people that are just keep coming back to seek the Lord. 
And that's what we're going to see in the life of David. God calls David a man after his own heart because of the fact that David kept coming back to seek the Lord in his life and to, and to make the Lord number one, which is very different from what we saw with Saul, where he went to the place where he had the Lord, he had the Lord's blessing, but more and more he got focused in on doing it himself, trusting himself, self-reliance instead of you know, seeking God, you know, pride instead of humility. Um, I wrote down some other things. I wrote, yeah, he, uh, humility versus pride, seeking versus self-seeking, obedience versus rebellion, faith versus fear, ownership versus blaming and rationalizing, walking by the spirit versus walking in the flesh. We see some of the contrast of those qualities between Saul and between um, David, and we're going to be seeing even more in the in amazing in how you can walk with God next week in, uh, in David, how God can work mightily in spite of our weaknesses and our flaws. So, amen, let me pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, help us to seek you and um, to know that you want to work. It is your will to work mightily in our lives, that you want to take us into the promised land and that you have great things in store. Help us to trust you more. And in the places that we have fear, help us to ask you and to seek you and to ask for help and to go to you and to not be sufficient in ourselves or come up with our own terrible solutions that aren't any good solutions at all. Um, that I want to be in your will, Lord. I want to be a woman that is after your own heart. That's who I want to be, Lord. Help, help us all to grow, to, to be that, to walk with you in a bigger way, to recognize the spiritual battle that Satan doesn't want us close to you, that he is going to feed us full of fear and, and full of lies and things that are opposite of where you're trying to take us. But we get to choose, Lord. You have given us free will. The choice is ours. So help us to trust you more. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.